Juliet Dogcast Radio. If you like dogs, wherever you are in the world, we're the show for you. Hello and welcome to episode 149 of Dogcast Radio. In this episode, we're excited because we have an interview with Ashley and Pudsey. Um, we're going to be starting uh, filming the movie um, beginning of September, so that's really exciting. So we're going to be doing that for about six weeks, so that's going to be hard work but good fun yeah. as well. We also have the Dogcast Radio News, Buddy's Diary, interviews from the Pet Show 2013 and more. But before all that, let's talk about who's training who between you and your dog. I spend a lot of time working, surfing the internet, reading about dogs. It's a tough job, but somebody's got to do it. From time to time, I come across something that intrigues me, like a post by Denise Mazzola entitled, Has Your Pet Got You Trained? It's an interesting subject, and it's amazing what people tell you when you start discussing this subject with them. But we start by talking about Denise's opening statement in the post, that she's been a dog trainer for 20 years, and she's never met a stupid dog. I love that attitude. <laughs> well, good. There aren't any stupid dogs. <laughs> so, I mean, a lot of, well, for a lot of years now, we've sort of, we've looked at dogs that aren't sort of as obedient, perhaps, as, as less intelligent. Um, but you've got a different slant on this, haven't you? Yeah, it's not, it's about, it's dogs, you know, we anthropomorphize our dogs and make them an extension of ourselves because, I think because they live with us, they're in the house with us, they fulfill some emotional need that, you know, we as humans have, but um, they do what we have trained them to do, whether you've known that or not. And it's really not about how much they love us or want to please us. Mm. So it's, and it's about motivation. If you can motivate any animal, then you can train them. Yes. Yeah, Definitely. It's it's quite interesting sometimes finding that right motivation, isn't it? <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, certainly. I mean, I you know I have a part of my business is day train. That's where I go in and I'll train your dog for for you. And then at the end of the week, I'll work with you and the dog. And you know, part of the please don't feed your dog before I come. I you know prefer them to be hungry. And sort of you have to you have to manipulate the motivators of the dog so that you can use them to your best best advantage. Yeah, yeah. Do you know it's it's interesting? I I went with I have we have a Labrador, um, a Border Collie, and a Bichon Frise, and my Labrador I took him to do some agility, and I, so I turned up with my bag of tasty treats, and the trainer said, "No, no, 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 we need a, a chew toy," and I'm thinking it's not going to work for a chew toy. Well, anyway, all I had was like a the, his lead was like a rope lead, and yep. and um, this, this guy got Buddy jumping over things and, and through things, and all the reward he gave him was a really fun game of tug with this, this lead when Buddy had done what right. he wanted. And I, w- I was gobsmacked because there was my food-motivated dog just right. being so motivated by play, you know. And I, I admitted to, to Lee Gibson, his name is, and I admitted to him and I said, I thought that wasn't going to work. So as you say, sometimes it's about getting the owner to realise what motivates right. their dog, isn't it? Right, right, yes. And food, I think, is a, you know, food's a primary <clears throat> primary one. Everybody's, you know, everybody's got to eat. But so the, you know, the tug toy was probably very novel for your dog because it, it hadn't happened that much, but he inherently liked it, so it worked really well. Yeah, yeah. Now, yeah. one of the things I, I 
has become apparent to me from spending time with my dogs and talking to other dog owners is humans sort of compartmentalise life and we go, so now I'm training my dog, now I'm watching television, you know, now I'm reading a book. It's, it's, I'm not training my dog at those times. But <laughs> yes, you are. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. So, and, and is this how we fall into these habits of our dogs being able to sort of affect our behaviour, do you think? Oh, sure. Absolutely. I mean, I can't remember which column it was that you read, but I went, well, I went into one woman's house and she said, you know, she really doesn't know anything. And I said, oh, really? I said, well, my observations are quite different. And, and you know, she scratched at the door and she got up and let her out and she scratched her legs and she picked her up and she, you know, the dog did all these things and the woman responded. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, and I said, the dog has trained you quite well to do all these things. She said, well, I mean, I haven't trained her to sit or lie down. And so we get, we get stuck, I think, with, um, you know, either feeling like we've trained the dog. And the biggest thing I hear all the time is she knows what I'm asking. Mm. I'm like, really? So how does she know? Like, you know, dogs can't read our mind. And unless you've trained her to know what the word no means. People always say to me, well, shouldn't I just say no? And I said, well, does your dog know what the word means? Mm. And, and how does your dog know what the word means? Because they're not born knowing English. No, no. It's the same thing with um, come. Mm. Come, Fluffy. Come, Fluffy. Fluffy, come here. Just to move from room to room or to move around the chair. Everything is come, 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 which means something to us as humans. But it doesn't mean anything to the dog unless you've attached meaning to it, unless the word come is now a predictor of liver treats or a game of tug or roast beef or chicken or something. Yeah, then out, you know, then, but you could say apple and the dog could come to you. You know, if if you train the dog that when I say this word apple and you, and you bring your body to me and then I give you a tug toy or I throw a tennis ball or I give you high value food, then apple will have a lot of meaning to the dog. But we, we look at our dogs through such, through our human lens, and then we put on them our humanness, which really isn't fair to the dog. Yeah, yeah. Really isn't fair to the dog. I just did this five-day um, Bob Bailey discrimination workshop. So we had lecture and learning theory and operant conditioning, and then we went and we applied it to chickens. We hmm. each trained two chickens. And, you know, nobody was standing around the room. There was 24 of us saying, no, chicken, no, you know, or come, come, chicken, come. And and when Bob or Parveen, his assistant, would come up to us, you know, I you couldn't say, well, you know, she knows what I want, but she's walking in a circle anyway. And he, because he'd say, well, if she's walking in a circle, then you've trained her to walk in a circle. Yes, <laughs> Whether yes. you know it or not, yeah. <laughs> that's what's happening. So oh. it was just very... It's just very interesting. And dogs learn despite our mistakes. I mean, they're amazing, amazingly resilient, I think, in that way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they are incredible. It, it sort of amazes me what you can manage to teach your dog completely by mistake when sometimes, oh, yeah. you, you know, you can try for hours to, to deliberately teach something and it doesn't happen. And I remember when, when Buddy was quite young, I was trying to get him to do speak. Um, and he would only do it really, he'd do a tiny little woof and he wouldn't do a big bark. And so I, I sort of did this 
without realising it, I was waiting for him to do a bigger bark. Without realising it, I was doing an expectant face and my eyebrows went up. He did a louder bark, got a treat, and I actually had taught him. I could just raise my eyebrows and he could do a big bark. And, and that was what, was what I had taught him inadvertently. But he was watching me so closely. That's what oh, he yeah. picked up on. Yep. You know, it, it, it's amazing. Right. And I mean, dogs are masters of reading body language. So, I mean, hand signals work really well. And they are also, that's, you know, they know, they watch your body to know, oh, she's reaching for her sneakers. That means we're going to go for a walk or it means we might go for a walk. And dogs get excited when, you know, sneakers come out. Yeah. Even, and people are always amazed, but yeah. it is funny. They, they, and they communicate with each other through body language, so it's no wonder that they're so good at it. Yeah, absolutely. They don't bark hello at each other. They may bark at each other, but it's not their primary form of communication. It's, it's all done with, you know, position of the head, position of the tail, position of the body, whether I'm looking at you, looking away, you know, there's a whole bunch of things. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know, you're absolutely, obviously you're absolutely right because you're the expert and you know about this, but having observed my dogs, our Bichon Freeze trained at the time, we had two Labradors who could have just barged her out of the way and taken her food when she was eating. But she trained them just by, you know, eye contact and how she held her head. And she had them, with, with obviously without a word of English, she had them sitting, waiting, drooling, Till she had finished her meal and then there'd be a very subtle change in body language and she'd sort of sashay past them and they would race right. to finish her, her you know what she'd left but but they she knew she sort of she put her head down she looked at them she meant business she growled right she, you know, right right she she trained them right well sure you could say it's trained but it's also if, if all the dogs are well socialized and they understand yes their own language a lot of dogs don't then you know, the look, sometimes it's the hard look, the stink eye, the mommy look, you know, will keep dogs away from each other. Like, oh, okay, I get it. Don't come any closer. Yeah, yeah. Do, do you think sometimes we, we um, I mean, when I say make a rod for our own backs, I don't mean in, in a, a horrible way. But, for example, the um, we choose the easiest way is what I mean. Because, for example, with my Labrador, he does have a tendency, he loves to play fetch, but he does have a tendency that he will just, he knows you're going to throw the ball and he will set off running. And so to avoid a situation where we end up looking for the ball because he didn't see where it went, I have started to throw it where he's running. So now yeah. he's a bit, that's a bit like, you know, where they have the dancing horses in the circus and they play the music in time to the horses rather than the horses dancing in time to the, to the music. But, you know, <laughs> right. and he's, right. he's trained me to do that, hasn't he? Yeah, I guess in some regards, you know, you want him to see the ball, and so it's easier just to throw it yes. to where he's running. You know, if it was a if it was a skill you really needed, you'd for him to search it, you would do it differently. Mm. But a lot of times, people will will say will um, think that they've trained. I'm not sure. Say a sit, mm. but but they've only they've either you know asked the dog to sit, and the dog came close to sitting. So the person say, well, that was pretty close, so they'll give them the treat for that. Mm. And so if you're randomly giving the dogs, you know, reinforcement in food or praise or whatever, then sort of no wonder you don't really get the behavior that you want because you, you haven't been consistent. And people are, human beings are the most inconsistent creatures around. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, dogs sort of count on us in some ways to give in. 
Yes. <laughs> or we've trained them to give in. Well, you know, the last 10 times I only partially laid down or I didn't lay down with my elbows down. So that mm-hmm. must be the behavior that she wants. I mean, we can humanize it and say that the dog is manipulating us, but the reality is if the dog is only partially laid down and you've given them the treat for that, that's the behavior you've told them will get them the reinforcement instead of waiting for the elbows to go down. Yeah. And we as people say, oh, that's close enough, or it was almost, and, and then I think that's when people start saying, well, she knows what I want. Mm. Well, <laughs> <laughs> you know, is that what you've been communicating with your dog that you want? Mm. It's really funny. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we had we had I mentioned this on Facebook and sort of one lady was saying when her dog um, as she's sitting at her desk working, when her dog loses a toy under the desk, he barks and she immediately gets up and finds it for him. You know, and I mean, I I, I have to admit, um, we all do it because I mean, when when my Labrador is lying on the sofa and he's chewing a toy and it drops on the floor, he sort of looks at the toy on the floor and then looks at me like, well, it's not going to pick itself up, is it? You know, right, right. so one of the things I wanted to sort of ask you was these these behaviours that we all fall into, and it seems like most of us do them with our dogs. Um, is there a danger in them? Do Is it fine to do or do we have to think at some point, are we being manipulated? How do we have to approach it? Well, we're not being manipulated. If, if I mean, the dog doesn't have the brain capacity to really think in those terms. If mm. it works for the dog, they're going to do it again. So if the, if, if the dog's toy rolls under the couch... Mm and they bark at it, or they're scra- let's say they're scratching at the wood floors, then the person may feel, oh, let me help you, Fluffy, so they may go get the toy out. Or the person may say, oh, my God, you know, I, I can't stand the barking. The barking has to stop, so they'll go get the toy out. Or the person may, so this, these are all the things that are motivating the person. Mm. They don't want to hear the barking. They feel sorry for the dog. Or they don't want the dog scratching at their new wood floor, so they go and retrieve the toy out from under the couch and give it to the dog. And the dog's like, oh, that worked. <laughs> right? I mean, that, yes. it, it, it is a behavior. Bark at the toy when it goes under the couch and somebody will come and get it from yeah. me. So it's not yeah. about being manipulated. It's about it worked for them. So if you don't want to spend your life retrieving toys from under the couch, don't get it out. Just ignore the dog. Yeah. And they, you know, they'll give up at some point, whether you can wait them out or not <laughs> that's the same thing with the, right the same thing with the do, you know the toy that drops off the couch he looked at you you went and got it mm-hmm. and gave it to him that's it's very um very motivating for your dog he really wanted the toy back so he learned very he learned in probably one trial oh look at julie and she'll get the toy <laughs> for me yeah yeah. But it but it's really not about manipulation, it's about what works and what doesn't work. I mean, dogs that put their feet up on the counter and eat stuff from the counter, they do it because it works. Yeah. <laughs> they don't do it to make us mad or oh, you know, I didn't like that training session last night, so I'm gonna eat the bacon <laughs> off the counter. No, it's like they've had a they've had success at putting their feet up on the counter and eating stuff, so they're going to do it again because it worked. Yeah. Now, I, I read in your column about um, Jubilee, who's a dog that yep. you live with, who does just that. <laughs> yes. And I, there's a new column coming out that I've called Show Some Remorse. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> because I found myself in the typical dog owner sort of fra- phase of mind saying, for heaven's sakes, Jubilee, can't you show some remorse? <laughs> and my partner, Amy, is sitting there. She's like, you're not serious, are you? I said, well... Sort of. 
it's like you know i you do get to that point i mine comes when you know you've gone on a long walk with them and i'm i'm shattered and you get back to the car and you look at them and they're looking like you know they they could have they could go and do the same again and you think could you just have the grace to look a little bit tired please you right know? right yes. <laughs> Show some appreciation. Yes. For heaven's sakes, all I do for you, right? But they're dogs. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you can say that to your human children, but <laughs> no. And and Amy said to me, she said, well, you know she's just looking for her next opportunity. I said, well, yes, I know that. But right now I'm a person, you know, I'm an ordinary person standing in my kitchen, and I'm irritated that she keeps looking for my bacon. Yes. <laughs> <You know? laughs> It's really funny. Oh, but you, I mean, you, you say in the column, her, her counter surfing has got you into better habits, hasn't it? We have, we have to, or we keep losing food. <laughs> yes. Jubilee comes up, she comes up the deck stairs in the morning from going out doing her potty break, and she bounds into the kitchen with, with such joy and glee and puts her feet up right on the stove. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it doesn't matter if, you know, with me yelling at her, just like, get off the counter. She, she doesn't care. No. It's, you know, it's worth, it's worth my yelling at her because she's gotten so, you know, she's gotten so successful. You know, yesterday I made um, homemade liver treats and I make them in a um, food processor and then I bake them and they were on top of the stove cooling and I went outside to start packing the car. And as I'm out there, after about 10 minutes, I'm like, oh, I left the liver treats on the counter in Jubilee's home. I sprinted in the house. I took the stairs three at a time. And, you know, and I was screaming, Jubilee, Jubilee. <laughs> I had no idea where she was. Uh-huh. You know, she'd been out on the deck sunning, sunning herself in the sun. I'm like, well, that's a good thing. <laughs> you didn't eat those liver treats, and then I had to, you know, I had to put them someplace else. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, they, I mean, I have to say, my daughter was um, seven when we had Buddy, and you know, she'd been used to having her toys out on the floor, um, you know, and it didn't matter. And then all of a sudden, when we got Buddy, it mattered because. You know, he would eat them and either hurt himself in eating them or chewing them or he'd damage the right. toy. And it got us into much, much better habits because all of a sudden we had to think where everything was and be a lot tidier. So it can work, you know, well for you. Right, right, right. I mean, generally, people that I work with that have dogs that counter surf have very clean counters because <laughs> they've just they've lost so many, you know, food items or other things. And counter-surfing is a very hard behavior to change. It really is. Because from the dog's perspective, the first time they put their feet on the counter, you know, they, a lot of times they get something. I've had people say they've gotten leftover pizza, they've gotten the birthday cake, you know, a loaf of bread. So they get, you know, a jack, they get a lottery prize. You know, they win lotto for putting their feet up there. And then, and then everybody gets really good, and they and they keep the counters clean, and days go by, and the dog doesn't get anything. And then, you know, like yesterday, we oh, we forget, and then they put the feet on the counter, and they get the muffins off the counter. So it's it's heavily, heavily reinforced mm. because they get such valuable things, and they get a quant, you know, a quantity of them, and it's not dependent on us being there or not being there. So yeah. it, it's it is a very difficult behavior to change because. It's it's like digging, you know. It's almost self-reinforcing. It just every mm. once in a while they get something fantastic, so it's worthwhile to keep trying, keep trying, keep trying. Yeah. yeah. Now you also live with a, a Boston Terrier, Vesta. Is that yes, right? Vesta. Yeah. 
gorgeous. I, I do like Boston Terriers. Um, and, and tell us how she uh, sort of um, has you trained. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Come on, Vessel. Let's get under the covers. And I'll lift up the covers to the bed. And no, nope, she's still walking around, <laughs> wagging her tail. They're toying her mouth. I'm like, okay. And I, you know, I haven't paid that much attention, although she's 12. There's something about when I settle, like maybe when I roll over or if I turn the light out or something that she has probably learned means mm. I'm not getting up again. Then she, but then she doesn't nose under the covers. She comes and scratches at them right next to me. I'm ready now. Could you lift up the covers, please? <laughs> <laughs> and I do. Yeah. <laughs> again. Yeah. yeah. Oh. <laughs> and I've tried. Come on, get under the covers. Like, we're ready now. No. It, it has to be when she scratches at the covers. <laughs> oh. You know, I, I, I do think having, you know, as the dog grows older, like any relationship, you, it becomes easier to live with them the longer that you've had them. You know, and exactly in the, in, when, as you've described, your dog recognizes when you're settling. Um, right. Buddy particularly will recognize that um, until I give him the signal that, yes, I am actually awake now, for I'm properly awake, you know, he, right, won't, he right. won't touch me. He'll come and sit and look and sort of go, well, are you awake? But until I say, yeah, yeah, OK, I'm awake now, you know, he, he's quite respectful and it gets easier, doesn't it? You find, I guess you both mould each other's behaviour to an extent, don't you? Well, sure. He, he learns, you know, in my house. My alarm will go off three or four times before I ever get yes, out of bed. Yes. So, the, so the dogs do not respond mm. to the alarm at all. Yeah. Um, they wait until I get out of bed and, you know, maybe I brush my teeth or something, or maybe it's just when I get upstairs. But, but there's something that I do that they, that they recognize as, oh, she's up now. Yeah. <laughs> you know, she's not just going to the bathroom. She's not just turning off the alarm. And I... I do a limited amount of boarding dogs in my home, so they often sleep in the bedroom with us. Mm. And it's it's really awful because the alarm will go off, and they're like, "Oh, it's time to get up." <laughs> and like, no, no, the rules are. <laughs> or you know, the new dog in the house now. I every time in the night I get up to go to the bathroom, she was wagging her tail and Aww. hitting the walls and jiggling her collar. She's like, "Really, you're getting up now?" You know, and the, no, no, I'm just going to the bathroom. You, you know, you completely ignore her. By the third, by the third night, she just lays there like she gets it. Oh, yeah. this isn't this yeah. isn't meaning anything. I'm just gonna, you know, I'm just gonna wait. But then we have to go through the whole alarm thing until she realizes, oh, okay, <laughs> you know, she hits it four times and then turns the light on and then she gets up. Oh, okay, now I know what the signal is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Up. So, I think it's. I guess, yes, I would agree it's easier, but they've learned what they've learned the signals that tell them that something important is going to happen, such as, you know, they are truly getting up out of bed right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's amazing what they can learn because um, my husband gets up before me, um, so he will, because um, I'm lucky enough to work from home. So he sets an alarm, he gets up, he goes. Uh, and then sort of, I don't know, a couple of hours later, because I like a lion, um, I will get up. Right. Um, and it, it, it took, you know, a little while, as you say, a few days. But the dogs began to learn, OK, yeah, when that routine happened, you know, yes, OK, he gets up and goes, that's not a signal to us. He's not going to do anything with us. And then they right. just wait for me. So it, you, it can happen. As you say, it is consistency. It just because that happened and he wasn't he didn't have time to play with them. So it didn't happen, you know. 
And that happened right. consistently. Right, so it had no meaning to them. Yes. It wasn't important yeah. to them. They didn't get fed. They didn't get walked. They didn't get let out. Nobody played with them. Okay, so we're just we're going to ignore Daddy. He's not important. Yes. <laughs> There's no opportunity for anything to happen for us, so we're just going to wait for, you know, Julie signals. Yeah, yeah. That, it's been really, really interesting, and I'm so glad that I spotted your column and that we've been able to talk. And I'm sure... Yeah, I think that's I, great. I, yeah, I'd love to have you back another time, and we'll, we'll talk about something else. Um, oh, sure. Where can people find out more about you online? Uh, my website is www.everythingdognh, as in New Hampshire, dot com. We have all the links where you can find out more about Denise Mazzola on the Dogcast Radio website. And many thanks to Denise for not only giving sound advice, but being lots of fun too. And if your dog has managed to train you to do a particular thing, we'd love to hear about it. You're listening to Dogcast Radio on www.dogcastradio.com. Owners of dogs will have noticed that if you provide them with food and water and shelter and affection, they will think you are God. Whereas owners of cats are compelled to realize that if you provide them with food and water and shelter and affection, they draw the conclusion that they are gods. Christopher Hitchens Buddy's Diary Hello, Buddy the Black Labrador here. You may be aware that the beach is one of my favourite places, but I recently had a very unsettling experience there. We'd gone to the beach with Kate and Nick, who are the Dogcast Radio News team. They are almost as good at sniffing out interesting doggy news as I am at sniffing out cheese, dog treats, sausages, biscuits... Hang a minute, where was I? Oh yes... At the beach, with most of the Dogcast radio team. We were having a lovely time. We'd found a spot well away from anyone else, right at the water's edge. And we'd been racing around, chasing tennis balls, splashing through the shallow waves, digging in the sand, and generally doing what dogs like to do at the seaside. My people have always enjoyed a paddle with me, and I love to hear them laugh as I jump over waves, although they seem to laugh loudest when I run away from particularly big waves, but I don't object to providing them with amusement. We Labradors have superb senses of humour. However, neither I nor my people ever swim in the sea. Obviously, I would swim, being a big, strong, sturdy, fearless Labrador, but I stay out to be sociable with my people. All right, I'll let you into a secret. I get scared when the water gets deeper than my elbows, but keep that strictly between us, okay? So we were paddling and splashing when suddenly Nick stripped down to his swimming trunks and bounded out into the water. He shrieked and thrashed about and I was worried the sea was hurting him. But my people reassured me that it was just cold. It's so sad for you humans that you don't have fur to protect you from cold and heat. I started barking at Nick, warning him about the dangers of the sea, telling him to come back onto the sand where it's safe and I think I scared him a bit. I can be an intimidating fellow when I choose, you know. Nick splashed back towards me in the shallows, and we had a little chat. But I could tell I wasn't persuading him of the dangers of the sea, and soon he launched himself back out into deeper water. I stayed barking and jumping about at the water's edge, but nobody took my warning seriously. I turned back to the rest of my people to appeal for help, 
and when I looked back out to sea, Nick had gone. He'd disappeared. Completely. I knew at once that the sea had eaten him. I ran back up to my people, barking, ran a ring round where they were sitting, unaware of Nick's peril, and ran back to the water's edge. By this time, I could see Nick's legs sticking out of the water, and I knew he was waving his feet at me for help. I bounded back to my people, ran around them again to alert them they needed to help Nick, but they just laughed at me and said something about Nick doing a handstand. How silly, you can't stand on hands, only feet and paws. I ran back to the sea and barked for Nick, and eventually he stuck his head above the surface and called to me. The sea seemed to have spat him back out. I kept encouraging him to come back onto the sand, and at last he heeded my warnings. As soon as he came out of the water, I licked his hands and feet and legs to show how worried I'd been and how pleased I was to have saved him. And I have to say, going into the sea does make humans extra tasty. Together, we strode back up to the rest of our people and I knew I had saved the day and that Nick would live to read the Dogcast Radio news again. So I'd like to end this time with a warning to all dogs out there to keep an eye on their humans if they go into the sea. Because the sea can eat humans, but if you bark long and hard enough, it will spit them back out. Good luck. Till next time. I am fond of pigs. Dogs look up to us. Cats look down on us. Pigs treat us as equals. Winston Churchill We attended the Pet Show 2013 at Stone Lee recently, and I was lucky enough to get the chance to sit down and chat with Britain's Got Talent winners Ashley Butler and her dog Pudsey. Ashley and Pudsey are the duo who delighted us with their fabulous dance routines. They opened the pet show and performed on both days of the show, and their book signings generated cues that stretched all around one of the vast halls of the show, proving their popularity continues to grow. So after all this excitement, I wanted to know how they were feeling. Uh, we're very, very good, thanks. Uh, very excited to be here as well. Yeah, yeah. And you just cut the ribbon and kick things off officially, haven't you? Yes, the show is officially open now, so uh, that was something new. Yeah. yeah. So the fun can start now? Yes, definitely. The fun can begin. Yeah. yeah. So what are you here doing? Um, well, first of all, we're going to be doing uh, a performance each yeah. day, and then we're also going to be doing a book signing as well later on after our performance. Excellent. And what's, I mean, tell people, you know, if they haven't read the book yet, what's in the book? what can they read and find out can they get your training tips in there um it's not that it's sort of a book about Pudsey's life so it's not about training it's um so a lot of people obviously know the story about Britain's Got Talent and after Britain's Got Talent uh, the story is basically before all of that happened and before he started dancing and how it all came about really yeah yeah before he was a diva well he's not too bad he's not too bad he has his moments though so uh gotta keep him grounded (laughs) yeah i mean the truth is there's a there's a lot of work behind i mean you look fantastic when you perform and it's but that's hours and hours and years of of training isn't it yeah i mean we've been doing canine freestyle for about four years now um and that's you know perfecting it as well to the standard that it is at the moment so um you know it takes like a good year a good year solid year to teach him you know a lot of tricks um get that first routine up and going but he's always learning something new all the time new and different tricks um you know continually really and and does he sort of is he a quick learner he's he's not the 
the quickest learner. It, it's quite funny with him, really, because you can, you know, do it over and over again. And then all of a sudden you see it click and then he goes, oh, yeah, I know what I'm doing. And then he's got it. So it's that time before that yeah. he, he takes to think, you know, really think about it. And then all of a sudden it just sort of clicks in his little brain of his. Oh, he goes, yeah, no, that's what I've got to do. Easy. Yeah. <laughs> what, what mix of breeds is he? Um, he's a Bichon Frise, a Border Collie and a Chinese Crusty Powder Puff. Yeah, so there is a lot of intelligence in there, actually, isn't there? Yeah, I mean, um, obviously Border Collie is quite smart, but um, also Chinese Crested is a really smart breed as well. Um, so, yeah, he, he's got quite good genes in him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and what motivates him? Is he food or toy? What works for him? really um he's got his favorite red tuggy so he absolutely loves that so um yeah we use that with hill watch music it is a lot of treat based with him uh, just because i've tried toys with other dogs and they sort of go mental so um i think with treats it keeps him calm but also he wants to do it as well so um mainly treats but sometimes tuggy as well do you click yeah, he was the first dog that I used clicker training on and it worked wonders, obviously, so um, I would definitely recommend using it for you know, training or at least trying it out. Obviously, um, it, it won't work for every person or dog, uh, but at least try it out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for me, one of the best things about you, you winning BGT was it's inspired people to get out of the house and do things with their dogs. Do you think that's important? Definitely. Um, the one thing that I didn't want from Britain's Got Talent was people just going out and buying a dog and then just expecting their dog to, you know, know all these tricks and everything. Yeah. Um, so hopefully that hasn't happened. But um, there's definitely been an increase in people going to, you know, dog training classes and actually doing it the proper way. Yeah. Um, meeting, you know, like I said, classes and going and actually uh, researching instead of, you know, having no idea and sort of jumping into it. So, um yeah, I definitely say do your research. Try and get to a, a local dog training club as well. Do you do other acti- dog activities as well? Yeah, our main um, dog activity before all of this was agility, and it, it, we, it still is. We um, we did quite a lot of agility shows. So um, yeah, that was our main main thing before canine freestyle. And um, I don't think many people know this, but he is an agility champion as well. So um, yeah, he's, he he multitasks. <laughs> So, and, and does he enjoy agility? Uh, he absolutely loves it. Um, you wouldn't think he's mental. So outside the ring, he's really calm and he just sniffs about. As soon as he, get, as soon as he gets into that ring, he barks and he is, he is a bit of, uh, he goes a bit mental. So, uh, the border collie comes out. The border collie does come out. I do think when he does agility, he thinks he is a little mini border yeah. collie. Yeah. Um, I think the bishop at that point would be going, I'll see you on the sofa, okay? Well, he, yeah, I mean, his mum was half border collie and half bichon, but she definitely took the bichon side. So she is more of a lap dog and stay-at-home dog. Um, but he's, you know, more of the Border Collie mad side. Yeah. Yeah. He's very handsome. He's, he's just looked at He's got a beautiful face and such soft eyes. He's very, yeah. Um, I have a lot of people say he's very, you know, got a lot of expression. So it is his eyes. I think his eyes are bigger than my eyes. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think he thinks he's a human sometimes. Um, we haven't told him different yet. No, so, don't, uh, don't. <laughs> <laughs> Keep him going. Yeah. So, um, 
once you've got through this weekend and let's hope it doesn't get too hot <laughs> and you've done your performances what's next for you and Pudsey? Um, we're going to be starting uh, filming the movie um, beginning of September so that's really exciting so we're going to be doing that for about six weeks so that's going to be hard work but good fun yeah. as well and is that in America? it's not it's oh, going to be filmed in England so excellent okay. yeah, can you tell do. us anything about it can you give us a scoop go on um, I won't tell anyone <laughs> um, it's, it's kind of like um, sort of very countryside so kind of like Lassie and Babe mm. sort of all rolled into one but with Podsy and obviously it's all going to be about him and as, as you do, Paddy's going to save the day um, one way or another. So um, that's very exciting. Yeah. So we can't wait to start that. Yeah. And will you be dancing at all? Uh, oh, of course he'll be yes, dancing. Good, of that's course what we want. <laughs> I think it'll be a bit strange if he didn't dance. Yeah. So yeah. Um, that's... He, could, he could agilitize. Yeah, that... exactly. We could do, we could actually maybe add, add a bit of that in yeah, as well. Right. So, um, yeah, an um, assault course could crop up at some There point. we go. <laughs> Just in the middle of a field, it sort of pops up. <laughs> Well, enjoy your days here at the Pet Show. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Ashley and Pudsey were just mobbed wherever they went at the show. They really are incredibly popular. I spoke on the last show about how lovely it was to see the youngsters that Ashley had inspired to train their dogs. You can get in touch with them via their Twitter and Facebook pages, and all links mentioned here are on the Dogcast Radio website. I'm looking forward to seeing that movie. Now, Ashley talked about the importance of treats for training, and we all know how much our dogs enjoy their food and how vital it is to give them great quality food and treats. Well, also at the pet show was Charlotte Gilsenen, creator of the Pampered Pets Patisserie. You can find photos of her gorgeous doggy goodies on the Dogcast Radio site, and I interviewed her at her stand, which was piled high with cakes and all sorts of tasty temptations, which all looked good enough for humans, but were actually... All for dogs. Yes, they are. Yep, they're 100% dog friendly. Um, we try and make them look as good as possible, as human as possible. Um, but yeah, the dogs seem to enjoy them. There's no no harmful chemicals in or anything like that. It's all good for them. And it's it's the pampered pet patisserie. It is. Yeah. 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 And you are the chef. I am the head chef. Yeah. Um, all the recipes uh, we've we've done ourselves. Uh, we try them out on our, our two pugs and um, all our friends' dogs. So we've got a wide variety of dogs that all seem to agree. And how long have you been going? Um, we started in December, um, and it's been it's been going a bit slowly. Yeah. But this is the first big show we've done, yeah. and it seems to be going quite well. People have seemed to take a, a big interest in it. So yeah. It's incredible because as we're standing here, people are walking past and, and they're going, mmm, that looks nice. You know, it does look, it looks like a, a regular cake shop. It's, it's amazing. It does, yeah. That's the dream, to have a to have a full dog bakery um, stocked just for dogs. I mean, it is all human grade, so they can try it if they wanted. Well, having, <laughs> having said that, you have had quite an interesting story with yes. the, the guy on the stand next door. <laughs> yeah, someone bought one of our um, bacon, bacon slices. Um, we did tell them it was bacon and then a few minutes later his wife came around saying yeah he's at that with his cup of tea so you know <laughs> but it does look I mean it looks like either um, chuck a coffee and walnut cake yeah. or it looks like chocolate yeah. cake doesn't it so yeah. I can see how he was <laughs> well yeah I don't think he tasted quite as he expected yeah. it um, but it is um, it's got big bits of bacon in so <laughs> but as you say it, 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 
is human grade ingredients. It is human grade. It's all human quality. Uh, the toppings are mainly dog chocolate, which is just carob. So we can eat it if we wanted to. Um, but I think we stick with regular chocolate with us people. Um, but yeah, it's all 100% dog friendly. It looks good. It tastes good to them. And um, yeah, it's doing well. So is your background, does it come from your pugs or is your background the cookery no, I, um, I went to university and trained um, for television and yeah. radio and stuff like yeah. that. And then I left uni, found it very hard to work, trained as a dog groomer. Um, and then I did this as a side sort of for my own dogs. I've always done it even for the, my, my family pet. And it's sort of just taken off. I started doing it for friends, family, all birthday cakes. And then I sort of went, no, I'm going to take it one step further and do Bakewells and everything like that. And it just seems to have taken off. People have had a very big interest in it and it's, it's going well. Yeah. You're getting a lot of attention. I know, all the time. As people you can hear walk, it yeah. walking past going, oh, cool. I know, yeah. I mean, as you say, there's a beautiful, there's a birthday cake there. Yeah. With bones around the side and the icing. And yeah. it does look like a birthday cake. We've just done a, a big three-tier wedding cake um, for a celebrity wedding that I'm not supposed to mention, yeah. but yeah. oh well. But no names, no names. <laughs> um, yeah, and um, we did a, a big, massive birthday cake for uh, Harvey Moon, who's a famous Pomeranian that's blue at the minute. Um, he had, like, champagne bottles and sparklers, all dog-friendly. And, um, yeah, it's... Um, Some of your, we, we yes. bought some of your yes. goods. Stay home and try with our three. So we'll uh, we'll let you know. Thank you. <laughs> we'll let you know how we go. Cheers. Thank really you. Great. Where can people find out more about oh, you right. online? Um, we're on Facebook. It's Pampered Pets Patisserie on Facebook, and um, the website is www.pamperedpetspatisserie.co.uk. We have all those Pampered Pets Patisserie links and some photos of their lovely food on the Dogcast Radio site. So once your dog has had his fair share of food and treats, you need to get out and about and work it all off. But how do you find dog-friendly places to go? Robert Turner from the thegooddogguide.com is a man with the answer to that. Basically, we run an online directory for uh, dogs, so if people are looking for pubs, restaurants, B&Bs, dog walkers, dog groomers, anything dog-friendly in the UK and Southern Ireland, uh, we promote them, basically. So uh, we've got around 18,000 businesses now online, um, and you're no more than two or three clicks away from what you want to find. Because it is lovely to take your dog on holiday with you, but what do you do when you get there, you know, is is always a problem. Exactly. Well, even uh, after you've actually booked your holiday through us as well and found the place you wanted to stay at... Uh, there's places, beaches you can go to, we have attractions, so you can even branch out from there as well. So we try and get everything covered. Yeah. Have everything covered, yeah. yeah. Now, what I, annoys me when I've checked that somewhere is dog-friendly yeah. on the internet, and I've taken the time to go and look, yeah. dog-friendly, yeah. and then I get there and it says, dogs welcome on a lead in the car park, yeah. and it's so annoying. So how, how do you make sure that that's not, you know, that your information is correct, they really are dog-friendly? Yeah. Uh, basically, we do every single person advertises with us, has a premium list. We have a full page of what they're actually offering. So yeah. we try and get as much information. For instance, if it's a pub, for instance, are they allowed in the garden, allowed in the pub? Uh, we try and get as much information we can yeah. that. Accommodation is more on the lines of, you know, they might have ten properties, but only four of them dog-friendly. So we'll yeah. mention only four dog-friendly, six aren't. So we yeah. kind of work, we kind of get as much information as we can. Yeah. Obviously, things do 
change and people do change so we try and keep on top of that as best as we can um, yeah. Yeah. yeah and do you have dogs of your own? I do got a, I have a Kelpie oh, wow. <laughs> yeah I quite enjoy yeah. <laughs> yes yeah. yeah beautiful dog oh. lots of work yeah. <laughs> about three hours worth of walking every day <laughs> and I mean was that what inspired you to do this to sort of going out and about with your dog it was exactly that we yeah. thought there's nowhere we could find that was basically wanted to go to a pub yeah. and take the dog and we thought well it would be a great idea if there's other pubs you can go to that just had pubs yeah. looked online couldn't really find anything and then it started growing from there so all we can do uh, accommodation and dog yeah. walkers and dog groomers and it just built and built and built um, so it's all down to Harvey who's our logo see the logo is all based around him um, and it's all down from that really so yeah he, he gave us the, a new life yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean we hear there's a lot of negativity in the press about dogs yeah. and it's easy to think all oh, dogs aren't welcome at as many places yeah. do you think they are still welcome at plenty of places I think it's getting more and more welcome at places yeah definitely uh, particularly accommodation um, I mean it's it's something now it's everyone's staying at home uh, obviously yeah. cost is involved leaving dogs in care can be a little bit costly so they take them away with them um, I mean it's some great home borders we have that people can, can go to as well but yeah I think it's getting more and more uh, useful <laughs> so I'm sure now you've, now you've sold it well people are going to want to know where to go online to find out if there's information what's your website well it's called thegooddogguide.com we had a great time at the Pet Show 2013 and to have a look at the photos of who we were chatting to visit the Dogcast Radio website if animals could speak the dog would be a blundering outspoken fellow but the cat would have the rare grace of never saying a word too much Mark Twain Hello and welcome to the Dogcast Radio News Desk. I'm Kate. And I'm Nick. We start with the news that it's about to get easier to have a public dog park in California, USA. Assemblyman Mike Gatto, whose district covers Burbank, Glendale, the Hollywood Hills and Silver Lake, amongst other communities, introduced AB 265, which limits the liability that cities and counties face when operating dog parks. When Gatto heard that one of Glendale's biggest concerns about opening a dog park was the liability, he immediately got started on the bill, which was signed into law this month. Hopefully, smaller communities will be more encouraged to set up dog parks now, meaning that Californians and their dogs will have more space to meet up and have fun. And talking about getting out and having fun, have you seen the video of the small dog in Japan playing fetch all by himself? The clever dog runs upstream along some stepping stones, drops his ball into the river, and the current drags the ball downstream. The little dog then runs back down the stepping stones, tail wagging happily, to reclaim his ball, and the whole thing starts all over again. Despite initial concerns that the dog was a stray forced to play alone, he has a happy home and has just invented the game to amuse himself. To watch the video, visit the Dogcast Radio website or Facebook page. But of course, getting out and about can carry risks. We've had lots of stories of missing dogs over the years, but we can't recall one quite like this. In Iowa, USA, a lost dog was finally located in a very unlikely place. Laddie, the border collie, went missing from his home, and owner Cynthia Weeks searched for him to no avail. Meanwhile, two blocks away, Ron Stevenson kept hearing a dog barking while he was working in his yard, but he didn't like to complain to any of his neighbours about the noise. Then, the barking changed to whining, and worried Ron set out to track the source of the whines. He followed the sounds and unbelievably discovered Laddie stuck up one of his trees. Ron called the police, and managed to persuade them that this was not a shaggy dog story, and thankfully Laddie was quickly reunited with owner Cynthia, 
who suspects Laddie may have chased a squirrel up the tree and been unable to get down again. Meanwhile, in the UK, New Zealand Maori opera singer Dame Kiri Takenawa took her two dogs onto the Downton Abbey set when she took on the role of another famous opera singer, Dame Nellie Melba, in the upcoming fourth series of the popular period drama. Since the filming, she has added a third canine member to the pack and has called her new dog Abby after the show. And we finish with two stories of dogs who defended their owners from great danger. When £10 Chihuahua Poodle Mix Psycho, yes, you heard right, his name really is Psycho, saw one of his human pack was about to be attacked, he took decisive action. Maya Della Rosa was making mud pies with her little sister in Texas, USA, both of them unaware of the approach of a rattlesnake. When the snake hissed, Maya looked up and saw it. It was coiled and ready to strike. However, tiny Psycho dashed in front of Maya to guard her from the snake. Sadly, the snake did bite the loyal little dog on the eyelid, but he was rushed to the vet, who is hopeful that when the swelling around the eye goes down, the eye will not have been damaged. We've got our fingers crossed that everything turns out well for Psycho, and we're sure he's being lavished with attention and affection while he recovers. And finally, in Oregon, USA, Labrador Cross Zug was out for a jog with owner Kelsey Short when a shirtless, shoeless, dishevelled man burst from nearby bushes and tried to take Kelsey's cell phone from her hands. Zug immediately leapt at the man and bit him on the arm. The man turned to run away, but to make sure he kept running, Zug leapt at him again, biting him on the shoulder and continuing to chase him off. So we say good for Zug and goodbye for now from us on the Dogcast Radio News Desk. The only creatures that are evolved enough to convey pure love are dogs and infants. Johnny Depp Kerry Rhodes, who gave us her excellent first aid advice in our last show, has started doing agility with her Rhodesian Ridgeback Axle. And they recently won out of Grade 1 into Grade 2, so they're doing really well. However, they've encountered a problem due to Axel being a large breed, which I wondered if any listeners could suggest a solution for. Here's Kerry to explain. It's certainly an issue that somebody had pointed out to me, and I've, I've kind of looked and thought, yeah, you know what, she's right. And then unfortunately, we had the issue for ourselves at the weekend. And it's about the size of the tunnels. I mean, it's the tunnel that they have to run through at speed and sometimes with a curb on them or whatever. It's one size fits all. Now, if you've got a smaller or medium breed dog, that's absolutely fine. But if you've got a big dog like a Ridgeback and my boy Axel, he's 27 inches at the shoulder. Mm. The standard size for um, a kennel club um, standard tunnel is 24 inches in diameter, I, I believe. I think that's right. Anyway, it's way smaller than a Ridgeback. And so he's got to really crunch himself up to physically get through the tunnel. Now, because of the way that the tunnels are secured, often at the moment, um, a lot of places use like bungee ropes and they pull them over the top of the ring and secure it on either side. Now, what that does is it often pulls down on the softer fabric part of the tunnel and it reduces the diameter of the circle of the tunnel itself. So although it should be 24 inches, if you pull the bungee tight enough to keep it nice and secure and safe for the dog to run through, it then reduces the diameter, you know, perhaps by three or four inches. Well, if you've got a 27-inch dog and you're taking it down to sort of 17 inches in diameter, it's, it's next to impossible. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, this weekend, 
although I've, I've kind of seen it and we tried to alter it and make it safer, um, Axel did misjudge it and as he ran through, he smacked the back of his head and his neck quite severely through oh, the tunnel. Despite yeah. the thought, he gave himself a shock and then obviously was too frightened to carry on competing because he didn't want to go through a tunnel thereafter. Now, if you don't have a larger dog, perhaps that's something you know, that, that doesn't occur to you because it, you know, you've never had to think about it. But when you do have the larger breed dog, like there is a lovely lady there who runs um, a standard poodle. He's a big guy. Mm. He's been our axle and to see him squat through as well. And every time I watch them run through, I must admit, I, I do worry a little bit for the safety of it. Mm. Just wonder if there might be something that could be done to make it a little bit safer for the bigger dogs. Yeah, because, I mean, they, they accommodate different sizes of, of dog with the height of jump so why not with other equipment and yeah, particularly on a it. safety issue yeah i mean they, re- they reduce the the jump sizes so the little dogs can get over them they have um, a different width usually in the spacing of the weave pole to accommodate and also that the um the larger dogs actually get off the time to get around the course ball because they're thinking well the dog's got longer legs he can run faster so everything seems to be weighted you know that they take those things into consideration for smaller breeds but with the bigger ones you know, things don't seem to get extended for things that count for them. I mean, you know, would you introduce a larger tunnel? Well, that's going to be really expensive, you know, for all the clubs and the shows to be able to do. I, you know, I appreciate that. Mm. But maybe the strapping down of it might might just be enough to make it that tiny bit safer because, you know, everybody who runs their dog, their dog is the most precious thing that they have and they would never want to put, you know, any health and safety issues for, you know, for their dog and certainly for myself. Yeah. In future, if I look and I don't think it's absolutely 100% axle proof, then then to be fair, I probably I won't run in that in like horse. No, no, no. I know that you've been doing some some um, work with Axel to sort of make sure that he he hasn't been left with a fear long term of tunnels. How's that going? Yeah, it's gone really well actually. Um, my club, East Yorkshire Agility Club, are very friendly and very supportive, and um, they've actually lent me. The, the club tunnel to have in the garden so we've had it in the garden now for two days and I have to say after the first the first couple of times yeah he was really wobbly he didn't fancy it. he'd have a look and then refused to come out and look at me with big sad eyes but it's amazing what you can do with half a sausage <laughs> and within half a sausage we'd gone from having the tunnel concertinaed up quite short so it was only a very short distance to get through and very slowly we extended it, made it longer, and then eventually put a curb in. And to be fair, by the end of our, our sort of first session, having a little practice of it, I turned my back and he'd snuck through the other side to take a shortcut. So he's obviously not that bothered about going through the tunnel when he's doing it when he's not supposed to. Yeah, good for him. I'm glad it hasn't left him with a problem long term because I think no, we, did, we didn't leave it long before we sort of revisited it. I did. You know, it's a bit like get back on the bike when you fall off. Yeah. We're, straight back to nice and gentle, lots of praise and coaxing and making sure that it was fun and he was enjoying it. And as I say, half a sausage, Bob's your uncle. <laughs> well, I think you've got a, a good future in front of you in, in agility and well done. And, you know, however you do, you take the best dog home at the end of the day, don't you? Absolutely you do. And, you know, it doesn't matter how fast he is or isn't, and we're never going to compete with a border collie. But to see him wagging his tail and smiling like he does, yeah, it's worth any number of rosettes. Thankfully, Axel is still enjoying agility. But is this a problem that you've encountered? If so, how did you resolve it? Have you found an alternative to stretchy bungee cords to secure the tunnel? If so, I and Kerry would love to hear from you. We heard 
heard in the Dogcast Radio News about Dame Kiri Takanawa's dogs accompanying her onto the Downton set. But in this week's newspapers, I noticed a headline about Lady Carnarvon banning actors' dogs from being on set, which of course is also her beautiful home, Highclere Castle. In the same week, I saw headlines that some dogs become depressed if they're left home alone too long while their owners are out at work. What do you think about this? Are our dogs better off at home, or should we be able to take them with us to work, if at all possible? If you'd like to read what I think, I've blogged about it on the Dogcast Radio site. Till next time, look after yourselves and your dogs. Thanks for listening to Dogcast Radio, available from www.dogcastradio.com. That's D-O-G-C-A-S-T radio.com. If you'd like to get in touch with us, and wherever you are in the world, we'd love to hear from you. You can do so in a variety of ways. You can contact us on Skype with the ident Dogcast Radio. That's all one word, Dogcast Radio. By email, you can contact me on Julie at dogcastradio.com When contacting us by email, if you have the facilities, please record your questions or comments and send them to us as an audio file. That way we can include them directly in our programme. We can accept most formats, for example, WAV, MP3. All these methods of contacting us can be found on our website, which is www.dogcastradio.com And as ever, the final word goes to Jenny. If there is H2O on the inside of a fire hydrant, what is on the outside? K9P